SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. And all the Sith living me. Your hatred, your anger. You want to kill me? After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are runs past that following a franchise until the bitter end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of Best that I Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast, your podcast looking at franchise one time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. With me is William Thrasher. And alone, never you have been. And this time we're looking at Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, the Ninth episode, the so-called End of the Skywalker Saga, although I do not believe that. Uh, directed by J.J. Abrams with a screenplay by Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams. Based off a story by Abrams and Terrio and Derek Connolly and Colin Trevorrow. Um, yeah, there's a lot of baggage to unpack with this one, Thrasher. I don't, you know, I, I saw this Christmas Day. There's so many um, rumors, people, you know, I, I do want to point it off the bat. People were going to spoil this. Uh, this is a newer movie. Um, oh, yeah. I was a bit surprised. I was a bit surprised. I saw a, a commercial on TV about it's coming out on like Blu-ray and, uh, and on streaming services and so forth, as they tend to do these days, where it comes out on streaming first, uh, which is fine. And uh, in that trailer, it showed that Han Solo is in the movie, which I was a bit surprised by that. I'm like, okay. but Well, I guess they tried everything short of that to get more eyes on this movie. So you know, I guess the handful of people who haven't seen it, if they see that Harrison Ford's in this movie, that might get them interested. I guess, and you know, people say it's a flop, which is ridiculous. I mean, this made over a billion dollars. That being said, it still made less than um, the other movies in the series, and I think we just have so much. Uh, it's just such a crowded market, and I, I do wonder if Disney thinks that um, if they overpaid for the Star Wars uh, stuff from Lucasfilm. I don't know. I mean, this more so than any other any other Star Wars things, I would love to know, like, I would love somebody to dish all the behind-the-scenes dirt of this new trilogy. I'm not, right, well, I, I guess... There might yeah. not even be dirt at all. It could have just been a series of business decisions, uh, or I, I mean, decisions. so... Yeah, I mean, so so one thing worth, worth mentioning is um, he was credited as, as the story of the script, but Colin Trevorrow, um, who directed, like, Jurassic World and, and um, Safety Not Guaranteed, things like that, was all set to be the director of episode nine. It was supposed to be a different director for each episode. And then, um, you know, much like uh, Lord and Taylor on the Han Solo movie, he was let go, and and there is a scramble, and uh, they put in J.J. Abrams. I mean, he did not want to do this movie initially, and uh, they they had him do it, and there's a comfort with the the cast and the the crew and and everything working with J.J. again. And um, they they rewritten a lot of the script. Just a lot of stuff was. Um, I mean, I think so. There's drama over that. The what the uh, the plot was for the Colin Trevorrow script and storyboards and stuff and concept art um, leaked for that online. Um, so that's sort of interesting. You don't always see what the, what the other plot lines are. Uh, and yeah, so we'll just have to see. 
what happens. Maybe we'll get that version as a comic book or something. Uh, I'm, I'm still hope I'm still hoping we get a comic book of based on George Lucas's outline for what he wanted to do for the sequel trilogy. But well, they did. Uh, Dark Horse did release a graphic novel based on the first draft of the Star Wars script. Yeah. Uh, so that that very well could happen. That might make for a really neat experiment. I think so. Um, but yeah, I saw this on, on Christmas Day as I've been doing with the Star Wars movies the past yeesh five years, I guess. And um, no. F- yeah, I guess it's been five years. Um, and I, I walked out kind of mixed. I mean, this is a Star Wars-ass Star Wars movie. And yet <laughs> I, I feel like they played it rather safe in a lot of... Um, I didn't really feel invested when I should. And uh, it felt kind of long and rambling, especially at the beginning. But I thought the the end was strong. And um, it, it did feel like a, a little kid was hammering on the undo button of The Last Jedi. What are some sort of like initial thoughts you had on this film? Well, I'll, I'll go even further with that. I mean, a lot, a lot has been said about the way this movie tries to undo The Last Jedi. I will go so far as to say that this movie tries to undo all of the new Star Wars films. This, this movie mm. exists, seems to exist in a vacuum. Yeah, you know, BJ made a point last time, and I, I think I have to agree with them. And, and all, all three of these sequel movies feel like they're starting a new trilogy. And so you get a lot of exposition, not necessarily a lot of payoff. And there's so, this one especially is so dense, so much stuff happening that, um, you know, it just it is a bit overwhelming with all this stuff moving around on screen and trying to keep track of these new characters that, that pop up online and have two lines of dialogue um, well, strangely enough, that is something that this movie inherits from the Last Jedi. I, I felt like mm-hmm. the last the Last Jedi did have a lot of material, a lot of a lot of ideas and things in it, but none of them had any time to breathe. And this movie has the same exact problem. There's way too many ideas in this movie, and none of them get any move to breathe. Well, so I mean, one of the I think the first teaser for this film, which came pretty late, all things considered. Uh, at the end, featured the laugh of Emperor Palpatine. And I love the Emperor. He's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. He's once again played by Ian McDermott. I think the makeup they did on him on this film looks much better than he looked in uh, Revenge of the Sith. When I when I heard that laugh, I thought mm. that was going to be a bait and switch. I thought that mm. the Emperor wasn't yeah. going to be in this at all, or at best, they were going to find some old recording of the Emperor, like security cam footage of his final hours or something like that. Um, I, I was totally prepared for that, because remember that the uh, trailer for uh, The Force Awakens was narrated yeah. by Luke Skywalker, who has no dialogue. I was waiting for the same thing to happen. But lo and behold, within the first ten minutes, uh, find out that the Emperor is very much alive, uh, for some reason. Yeah, and and the weird thing is it talks about the Emperor has a message that's broadcast throughout space. Um, They they recorded what that message was, and to hear it, you had to play the free-to-play video game Fortnite during a limited time, um, which had a Star Wars uh, Episode Nine tie-in. So, the return of the Emperor, I think it's... In part, it speaks to the fact that this new trilogy doesn't really have any effective antagonists. Um, Kylo Mm. Ren never reaches the heights of menace of Darth Vader. General Hux, General Hux might as well just be his his bumbling sidekick. Captain Phasma just looks cool, uh, never has any impact on the, the stories of the characters whatsoever. And I I did a lot of thinking about this, and I realized... 
if I didn't know that the Emperor was going to be in this movie when he showed up about 10 minutes in, I probably would have been blown over and would have been, oh, damn it, Palpatine's back, oh, snap. But instead, the movie tips its hand in the opening text crawl, and without that element of surprise, his insertion in the film just kind of comes off as a thud. Or, I mean, what if the movie would have opened on the Resistance, and then you hear some, like, distortion on, on a radio signal, and you start hearing the Emperor's message? Like, some more organic way to introduce it than to say, like, oh, shit, the Emperor's here again. Like, that's such, what a big thing to drop in the opening crawl. It, I don't think, I, you're right, I don't think it's, it's satisfying the way they do it. Although, I mean, the way that, that Planet X goal looks, the beginning with really not that much dialogue of Kylo Ren, he has this um, locator device thing and, and ends up on the planet and kind of sinks into the basement and sees Palpatine is hooked up to all these things and in is something that is not explained a, a, at all, which surprised me a bit, but this has been a bit of an obtuse uh, trilogy as far as plotting. You see in the background these kind of uh, test tubes with Snokes and Snoke and stuff. Oh yeah, I've created Snoke. So we we get a Snoke origin story after a fashion. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it was like just one a big old one, vat full of Snokes. One line of dialogue, but I think what was really effective is is as he goes down there, you hear the voiceover and you hear the Emperor, you hear Snoke, you hear Darth Vader, and he says, like, I've been in your head the whole time. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's that's a neat idea, although at the same time, I, I feel that further weakens Kylo Ren's character, because then it, then it means he hasn't been making choices this whole trilogy. He's just been being manipulated by the previous trilogy's villain. Right, and it feels a bit like, um, did you see the James Bond movie Spectre? You know, I I still haven't. I'm behind on the new Bond movies. Okay. Do you mind if I spoil it? Oh, no. Go right ahead. Okay. So, quick spoilers for Spectre. In that, it introduces Blowfield, which uh, they haven't been able... Or Blowfield. They haven't been able to use him for a long time because of legal reasons um, with Thunderball and so forth. But um, he's back in the movie. And they revealed that Blowfield is James Bond's um, younger brother. Huh. And has been responsible for all the misery in James Bond's life since Daniel Craig started the series. Hmm. And that's what the Emperor made me think of in this film. You have this way too convenient plot thing in there. And it's not satisfying to anyone. It's not... uh, I don't think it's a really smart move. And, And then you're like, it kind of... And then like when you try to rewatch the movies with this stuff in mind, you're like... And that doesn't quite make sense, or gee, that's awfully convenient. So he knew what everyone was going to do every second, because these movies are plotted like a domino uh, set or something. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, and it's it's worth mentioning in this too. You know, um, Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia, has been. Um, this is the third movie uh, after her death that she's been in in some way or another, and um, it's it's off of cobbled, deleted scenes from The Force Awakens. And I think it's really forced. I almost I, I wish they would have recast it or maybe just opened and saying that she died. I didn't really get a lot of her in this movie. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, it might have made a stronger statement to begin to begin the film with, with Leia's funeral. That being mm-hmm. said, I didn't... Yes, the, the use of the recycled footage was a bit awkward, but I didn't mind, although I will freely admit that probably has more to do with my love of Carrie Fisher than than the skill with which they inserted those... those snippets of dialogue into this movie right it's a 
bizarre choice uh, in, in some way. Um, also, what we have here is, well, let's see, I'm just going to do this stuff. Um, I mean, so you have you have the resistance. They're on this sort of a jungle planet, which looks fine. You have uh, the uh, Ray is uh, you know training on on the planet, and as happens in all these movies, they find excuses to to go to uh, different planets. Right, they have to go explore. Well, yeah, like the uh, and there's this to to really get your blood pumping after the whole you know slow mo Kylo Ren battles where he gets the 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 Sith tracker and whatnot. Um, we get a bit where uh, Poe Dameron is on the Millennium Falcon and he is on a mission to collect uh, information from a spy uh, on this really neat, like it, it's an environment I wish they had hung out in a bit more. This really neat, like ice comet base, uh, which is, which is pretty neat. Uh, and it's, and it sets up this idea that there's a spy within the first order that kind of pays off later, but this leads into a chase sequence because the first order shows up and, you know, dispatches some TIE fighters to hunt down the Falcon and they do. Um, so it's at this point that Star Wars needs to decide how hyperspace works because Poe Dameron's whole escape plan is to do what they didn't do in The Last Jedi, which is to do a series of rapid, semi-random hyperspace jumps to lose the First Order, uh, which doesn't really work. But we have these, like, in rapid succession, we see the Falcon hyperspacing directly onto the surface of multiple planets. Uh, and, like, it, it's one of those things where, like, the second time it happened all the tension left me because it just, it really sort of, okay, you, you've made this chase scene so crazy that I now, that like, I feel like no one is in danger. Uh, And then beyond that, every they they, you get these brief flashes of all these different planets and environments, all these planets and environments probably should have been settings that all the previous movies went to at some point. Like oh, that would have been cool. Like yeah. they were all unique. They all had at least in, they all had a, an interesting color palette, an interesting environment. In some cases, interesting critters, including a, a straight up dune sandworm. But then you just we just we leave it we leave it all behind. Um, and and so yeah, the, so the scene meant nothing to me. And the other thing is, and this is just me being an old timey Star Wars pedant. But the whole time, I'm like, wait a minute, TIE fighters aren't equipped with hyperdrives. They're specifically not equipped with hyperdrives. They're equipped with twin ion engines, hence the name, yeah. <laughs> and, I re- and I realize that really is dumb and rather, like, nitpickety, but at, this, at the same time, it's... It, it, it you know it's it, it's just one of those yeah I know you've been in you've been investing a lot of your time into Star Wars but fuck your investment in Star Wars we'll do whatever crazy goddamn thing we want. It's a good summary of this movie in some ways. Um, so I mean, <laughs> pretty quickly I was kind of surprised like they they get these notes and they realize Palpatine is on Exegol. That is what Luke was trying to find uh, with Lando, but he couldn't find it, uh, and so they have to find a Sith wayfinder. Is the the plot MacGuffin? To get them there, so uh, so all tr- the good guys, you know Chewbacca and, and BB-8 and C-3PO and all them, get on the Millennium Falcon. Excuse me, get on the Millennium Falcon to go to Pasana to uh, to kind of pick up the pieces. And um, and man, was I happy to see Billy D. Williams as Lando. Although they don't give him a whole lot to do in this movie. So was I. I I was hoping he would have more to like. I love seeing him on screen. I love Lando. I love Lando being back. Uh, his presence has been sorely missed in the previous two movies. 
but yeah, they could have. He could have had a, a a bit more emphasis. Like even this deep into Star Wars, he is still kind of playing a support character. Like he he's he's never at his most Lando than in the return in the Empire Strikes Back, and no other movie has let him rise to those heights again. That's that's, kind of, that's pretty disappointing. It is, although he does get to. Uh pilot the, the falcon again i think near the end and all this stuff i mean yeah there, there's stuff that that goes on certainly which is uh good and and you you have a continuation from the last jedi that kylo and, and ray can um kind of talk telekinetically uh they, they build on that later in the film and um and you have this very forced kind of quest of uh of them you know, finding a, a dagger with Sith lettering and, and C-3PO cannot read it because he's programmed not to read Sith text, which I thought was a neat twist. Yeah, but that, then that was really cool. Like that that's something that I thought made perfect sense. And he even talks about how, oh, yes, the, the Senate in the year 273208 mm-hmm. uh, issued this this law, you know, so, uh, and it's it, that was great like that. That worked so well. That felt like a real organic extension of this universe. But this movie has nesting MacGuffins. Like in the in, in yeah, yeah, the Force many. Awakens, we just had oh yeah, there's this like map fragment, and everybody's chasing that. <laughs> but in this movie, you have the Sith Wayfinders, of which there uh, of which two there are. But then to find one of the Sith Wayfinders, you also need this dagger. Uh, although they don't know they need that dagger, they're looking for something else. Uh, but to find that dagger, they end up looking for the bounty hunter that that supposedly killed Ray's parents after she got abandoned on Jakku. The, that's that's this late in the trilogy. They probably shouldn't be doing that kind of MacGuffin hunt. Like the characters should know what they're after and they should go after it. Right. So so in a scene that reminded me a little bit of of Darth Maul in the Phantom Menace. You know, Ray comes down to, uh, like, Kylo comes down to confront Rey, and uh, Chewbacca gets gets captured, and it looks like the ship that Chewbacca on is on, uh, Rey taps into her powers with the, and it's, it's too much, she does force lightning, and you're led to believe she accidentally destroys the transport with Chewbacca in it. But, of course, this movie can't actually have a death that matters because well, they quickly... The, I, I, I hate the way they, they handle that. Well, this scene is such a problem because like it's, it's asking too much from us in the audience. Because, for one, it's asking us to believe that there was a second transport we never got to see. Uh, yeah. And second, they, they make us think Chewbacca's dead... One scene later, we see Chewbacca in chains on a fir- in a first order uh, a spaceship. So again, the tension's gone. If that if that death had been allowed to sit long enough for us to think that they had really killed off Chewbacca, when Chewbacca is revealed to be a prisoner from another transport, that would have been such a celebratory moment. But instead, it just it takes it just destroys our tension. That. That is the low point of the movie for me, is the Chewbacca death fake-out that asks far too much. Um, I have another one I think that's worse, but I, I wish they would have killed Chewbacca. I think that would have been ballsy. It's something they did in the books. 
and not that that really matters. But well, give him um, a really neat death too would be nice. Mm-hmm. Like, and and just I think the the acting of Daisy Ridley in that scene is really good. Like she is, is you know kind of astonished and ashamed at what she did, and she you know there, there's powers uh, greater than her at work, and, and she's just not quite sure what's going on. And uh, and that and that it was forced lightning, you know, pays off um, later in the story when they do a reveal. Well, this so, this is something this this speaks to a big problem that this movie has it wants to do cool things but never considers how to integrate those cool things within the movie because you mentioned kylo ren comes down to confront her uh and the whole confrontation is kylo ren comes down on his modified tie fighter and is just skimming along the surface of the planet and is like heading straight for Rey and he is literally heading straight for Rey like he never slows down she has to do this crazy Jedi jump like over over the ship so was he trying to kill her because that's the only like reason you can do your you would do that unless he's betting on her doing a last minute force jump but like it's it's just what it's like one of those things. If you if you if you went down to the planet to talk to Ray face to face and try to win her over to the dark side again, why do why try to run her down other than it looks cool in a trailer? Yeah, I mean he's essentially playing chicken with her. Um, yeah, I don't know, and it's not like that that special move comes to play again later in the film or. Or anything. It's a it's a weird decision. Um, so you get, uh, you know, pretty soon here they go and uh, have a scene that was I think pretty effective in the trailer, but in the film it's undercut quite a bit. Where C three PO says, "Oh, I'm saying goodbye to my friends for the last time." Yeah. So to get him to translate the Sith runes on the dagger, yeah, they take him. They take him to the best character in the movie, Babu Frick. Uh, this uh, droid, this this illegal droid uh, hacker or slicer, as the expanded universe would say, uh, to disable his safety features. But like, yeah, it'll it'll wipe his it'll wipe his memory core. And and this is and this is another go- a damn fake out because you know, my whole thing was wow they are like effectively going to kill off C three PO as a character with this mind wipe. And someone even points out, well, can't R2-D2 restore your memories? Like, oh, oh no, his his backup drives are highly unreliable. Well, no, turns out his memory will get backed up and restored, so the sacrifice is rendered meaningless. Uh, but beyond that, strangely enough, C-3PO has a lot to do in this movie, and like, strangely mm-hmm. enough, I did like the whole thing of C-3PO having his memory erased and going back to his factory defaults and, and like, like constantly being, well, who are you? Well, what's going on? Why are we in the middle of this fracas? So, like, I I thought that was delightful, if only because it gave C three PO more business. It gives him more business by far, and uh, also you have a, a good scene with C three PO. I think they're about to restore him. He says, "Oh, this is my very best friend, Babu Frick." <laughs> now, now, the other thing that that infuriates me though is right before they they switch off the safety features, he goes, "Wait a minute, I thought of an alternative." Oh, that that hurts so much because that comes immediately after the I'm taking one last look at my friends. Mm, you have that, to go for the joke. That joke just destroys mm. the emotion that I was feeling and destroys the impact of the memory erasure, which does then turn out to be a fake out. Although I like C-3PO's scary voice. Um, the th- the th- You know what kind of surprised me since this movie was going to go going back to the Emperor anyway when C-3PO had his memory wiped and was restored to default, like, my thought my thought was, like, he 
it was going to go back to like stage one C-3PO. And once he powered back up, he would be like, oh, I say, where's Master Anakin? Like, I thought he was going to mm. go back to prequel C-3PO. And, and like, what? Master Anakin became a Sith? Oh, my goodness. I, I kind of wanted that. They don't have to give it to me, but I kind of wanted that. Can you imagine if C-3PO is like that and somehow captured by Kylo Ren? And Kylo Ren's trying to pump C-3PO for information about his uh, his grandfather. That would ha- ha- <laughs> have been a really neat story turn. Oh, and you know, it's funny. I'm kind of surprised we didn't, we we did not mention uh, Carrie Russell is Zori Bliss. She's this uh, spice runner that is an old flame of Poe Dameron's that's on this planet, that the rain, the rain planet that... Uh, that that gets them that gets the team hooked up with with Babu Frick. She has like and, and I real I suddenly realized why we didn't mention her. She has no impact on this movie. No, it's kind of a cute flirtation thing she has with Poe, um, but it doesn't go anywhere. You can't really tell that it's that actress because she has a mask on the whole time. You just see her eyes. Uh, well, and you know she used to work with J.J. Abrams way back on a show Abrams created and did the theme song for Felicity. So you know how in the previous episode I mentioned like the the inability of or the cracks that are in sort of Disney's attempt to make a single unified Star Wars expanded universe mm-hmm. since since doing their purge. Well, it, in nowhere is it stronger than in this scene because in this movie we get a whole bunch of background information about Poe Dameron. Uh, particularly that he used to be a, a street criminal kid from the streets, that he became a spice runner, and then from there ended up getting brought into the resistance. Um, when uh, Force Awakens came out, Marvel did a Poe Dameron comic that went over his background. A prequel, which, okay. Yeah, which was, the, which was sort of the canon background. Well, that's not canon anymore. Uh, because it directly <laughs> contradicts what's in this movie. So we, we now have what I have been long... Not waiting, and understand, not waiting for with glee. I just knew that it would inevitably happen that a movie would decanonize a big, a big thing in the expanded universe. Well, this is what it is, uh, because in the comic, he's a child of privilege. He is he's he's basically this dilettante of this wealthy family who lives a life of no consequence, and then decides that he wants to start believing in something and do something worthwhile, which is why he approaches Leia and ends up joining the resistance. Well, that that's not canon anymore. Uh, but is that not more interesting than the explanation they give in this movie? Well, I mean, it does make him just another scoundrel. I think it, his character does have more texture if he turned his back on a life of wealth and privilege to do what's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I recall, I, I haven't read it, but I heard in a podcast people talking about it. They um, At one point, they did a collection of maybe short stories or something about Finn, and it talked about, like, he was an expert uh, marksman and, and a, you know, the best stormtrooper in the, the training squad. And, of course, that's sort of undercut in The Last Jedi, where they say, like, oh, he was just a janitor. Well, no, they, that, that's, they, uh, they stated that he was a janitor uh, in, uh, in, in Force Awakens. That's, I guess that's you're how right. he knows yeah. how, like, all the True. access tunnels work. Although, although that being said, and, I, and this is... This is uh, this is something that actually came from from a, a veteran uh, that I know, is that, that they sort of they they did a disservice to the character by saying he's a janitor because if he's a part of a military command structure, he would like sanitation is part of logistics and is one of the hardest 
sort of military jobs because your job is preventing hundreds of people from dying from dysentery all the time. Like, True, it's an important it, it's... job. You're not just scrubbing floors. Like, you are making the plumbing work. And without plumbing, modern civilization collapses. Well, not just that. I was doing some studies and, uh, um, you know, when uh, troops are over in uh, the Middle East and stuff and you have to figure out how to get rid of all this waste, you have to burn it in a certain way, you have to, like, it's a very involved thing. You can't just trust the it to, to break down naturally, so to speak. There's all sorts of environmental concerns. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a much harder job than to just dismiss it as a janitor. I think that's a, a point well taken. Um, so you let, also have... Oh, go on. Well, so another thing that falls apart. So shortly after uh, Poe and the crew arrive, um, the planet gets uh, blockaded by the First Order. And yep. Zori Bliss has this like disc with a command code f- stolen from like a first order general that'll get anybody through the blockade which one it it suddenly occurred to me well wait a minute why did she have this when the blockade was only enforced like it's 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 an art it's a completely artificial sort of conflict because the blockade came in pursuit of the falcon um so she there's no reason to go after one of these discs, but she has it. But then, two, she gives the disc to Poe Dameron so that they can escape and get through the blockade. But then she shows up at the end of the movie, so she never needed the disc to get through the blockade. It's like a skeleton key. It's really convenient. Maybe she had two of them. I don't know. I agree. Like, that that, that reveal... No, she specifically says they're rare. We I have one. Well, maybe she lied. I don't know. It, yeah, it's... That's not great. You also have, um, at the beginning, they kind of set up, oh, there's a spy in the First Order. And in a scene that made everyone in the theater laugh that I was in, uh, General Hux reveal, he says, has a line, I'm the spy. <laughs> yeah, he just drops it. And, and the thing is, is like it kind of like it, it made sense. And I wish mm-hmm. there was more of Hux because the, the, all these movies, Hux has had tension with Kylo Ren, who's taken over the First Order. The idea that Hux would sabotage the First Order to get at Kylo Ren so that presumably he could take Kylo Ren's place, or at least see Kylo Ren replaced with a competent military officer, that is brilliant. General Hux has his own little Project Valkyrie thing going on. But they do they do nothing with it. And like when he tells that when he tells our heroes that he's the spy, and they shoot him in the leg so it looks like he did get injured with trying to prevent them from escaping the moment he goes back to the other fleet admirals he just gets shot because apparently they knew he was the spy the whole time or i could tell i could tell out. that was going to happen they weren't going to say like oh you got shot in the leg well at least he didn't die i mean no they you have any suspicion someone's a spy you just execute them that's the uh, empire way and, and you also get a big reveal around this time in the story that ray so in last jedi i mean this is the big kind of slap in the face, uh, I think, to Last Jedi, you you are told, Kylo Ren tells Rey that her parents were nobodies. And I, and we discussed last week or that I think that was a great twist. I think, you know, not everyone has to be related to each other. And yet, they can't leave that alone. Here it turns out that she is the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine. Which means that at some point, Palpatine had time to have a kid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was a lot of podcasts going on about Palpatine sex or whatever, but yeah, that's true. Or it could have been, I mean, and there's the... We the, hired a surrogate. Right. Uh, 
but yeah, it, it, and it's one of those things where it's also it's technically not a retcon because oh no no yeah her her, her parents still have the same status it's her grandparents and no it's lame uh, and I, I don't like it it's too convenient I will say if you're gonna do this it's better that she is the emperor's granddaughter than to be like Luke's secret daughter or uh, Han Solo or Kylo Ren's I thought it was gonna be Kylo Ren's like uh, half sister. <laughs> That Han was going to be sleeping around and, uh, you know, had a little thing on Jakku at one point. And um, because they seem to have a good bond in that, that first uh, Force Awakens film. But that that is the Emperor. I mean, it's kind of lazy. And then I tried, when, when I had that in mind rewatching these movies for the show, and like, I don't think they do any hints to really, this was something they just made up for this movie. And, and that's just so annoying. If you're going to, have something that big try and set it up or have have some moments where she does something a little bit dark instead they kind of force feed it in here with the you know the lightning bolt towards the transport and um but but what they do do that's that's pretty neat is kylo ren not only can they talk telepathically but they can transmit items telepathically yeah so this is the the first movie in the series that remembers that Ray has force powers and bothers having her use a force power more than once. This movie, mm-hmm. because I talked about how I was always disappointed that Kylo Ren sort of stops that blaster bolt in the first film and nothing like that ever happens again. Yeah. This movie remembers that if you want to do something big and crazy with magic, you got to do something little but cool with magic. And so, like, early on, the whole reason Kylo Ren finds out that Rey's on the desert planet is she was given these beads, and while they're having one of their telepathic conversations, Kylo Ren's able to grab the beads, and they come to him. And that that abil- that, that sort of little teleportation ability, thank God, actually pays off, like, yeah. at the end, when yeah, Kylo right. Ren- yeah, Kylo Ren's disarmed, and so Rey passes her lightsaber behind her back, and it teleports to Kylo Ren. Like, that worked! I was so happy that they finally remembered t- to have some reproducible results with the powers in this movie. They also set up something earlier in the film that we sort of skipped over that, um, I don't think they've shown it in the movies, but it's certainly been in the video games, and I think the books, the power of force healing. Oh, Yeah. Where they they mention it takes something out of you, but they find this little alien and and she heals it, um, and I'm I'm fine with that. Some people say like, well, wait, this makes the prequels, you know, this cancels out the prequels. Couldn't and, and there you know there's all these sort of funny memes and stuff on Reddit where uh, Anakin's like, oh no, I, I I need to stop her from dying, and Palpatine tells him like, it's okay, you have a healing spell, go and heal her. But I. Well, I think that that speaks silly. that speaks to the fact that like it, they at least in this current trilogy there aren't really any like rules or limits to what the force can do. The sense I always got from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy was you sort of need to train and practice with like different force techniques. So the fact that uh, yeah, Anakin yeah. can't heal Padme, it's 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 just that you know no one ever taught him the force healing technique, or he never developed that, so of course he can't do it. But in this new trilogy, anyone with the force can just do whatever the hell they want at any time, uh, and so it can, and and it, it can make other uses of the force kind of seem unsatisfying. Because if well, if they can do whatever they want at any time, why doesn't everyone do whatever they want at any time? <laughs> That being said, I do think it's believable the Emperor has survived. You know, he has that, that speech about Darth Plagueis in Revenge of the Sith where he talks about 
it can keep people from dying and they want to live forever in some fashion or another. I think uh, I think that's okay. I, like I don't have as much of a problem with that part of uh, of the story. But we are, you know, heading uh, towards the end of the movie. Although there's still quite a ways to go here. They got to well, find the the wayfinder. So Little um, pointless beats yeah. that we have to sift through to get to what matters in this movie. Well, it's not only do they collect the, the fucking dagger, but they have to, you know, the Wayfinder itself is on the remains of the second Death Star, and you had a lot of that second Death Star imagery um, in in the in the trailers and, and so forth in the ocean, and it is just uh, when she she touches it, she has a vision of herself with pointy teeth in in a hood it's as just the a Empress quick Flash. It's just there so they have something cool to put in the trailer. It's cool, though. I like it. <laughs> I, I, I almost wish she would have become Sith at some point. Like, almost like what they did in that old... Uh, one of the one of the first expanded universe, um, not including the Marvel comics, uh, things that Dark Horse did was Dark Empire, remember? Where the whole plot was about the Emperor had, had, had clones and so forth, and Luke actually went to the dark side as an undercover agent. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And so, like, what if you did something like that with Ray, where she actually becomes, like, a, a Sith apprentice for a bit just to try and trick him, but she actually enjoys it? I don't know. I mean, you could have done, I think, the imagery of a female Sith in, in a movie. They've certainly done it in the, the expanded universe. Um, it was really deserved more than just a quick little flash. Um, but on on the same planet that has the wreckage of, of the the second death star we also get we get uh jana introduced jana and her whole team uh, played by naomi aki uh, uh and this and this speaks to how poor finn is has been served really in in all of these movies because it's revealed that she and all the people who are on this planet with her they were a squadron of stormtroopers yeah. that started to question what the first order was doing so they they were they rebelled and they deserted their their te- their fleet and like set and have been hiding out on this planet ever since just living their lives and there's a scene where where she and and Finn are talking together uh and it the subtext of the scene which just infuriates me is that Finn didn't abandon the First Order because he started to question the morality of what he was doing, and neither did these people. They did it because the Force made them do it. Mm. Because the the way they speak about it is this kind of external revelation coming from an external source. It just means they're not characters who get to make choices, and that that infuriates me so much. Not just that, I thought in this movie they'd pay off something of, uh, remember the last shot in The Last Jedi, or those sort of slave children on that rich planet, you know, one of them, some of them have attunement to the forest, and one of them makes the, the broom come into his hand. Yeah. I thought that was going to pay off in some way. It doesn't. <laughs> yep, yep. Not that you'd have a bunch of, like, little kid Jedis, like, on the battlefield or something, but you, you could do, I think, the sort of notion that anyone can be attuned to the forest if they want. You don't have to be... I mean, that was a big mission statement, I think, of Last Jedi. You don't have to be uh, part of a bloodline, right, to, to have these powers. Um, well, well, I'll admit, I was kind of waiting for the same thing, because in the final showdown yeah. with, the, with the Emperor, when they were talking about how they were going to sort of be channeling all the Jedi and Sith that came before mm-hmm. them, 
I thought that was going to be how Ray finds victory was not by drawing power inward, but by sending it outward and that we were going to see force sensitive people on planets all over the galaxy kind of like rise up with their power and tear down the tools of oppression. That didn't happen, of course, but like I feel like like that that would have been a, a great way to integrate something from an earlier movie into this movie. So you have a lot going on here on on the second Death Star. Kylo Ren is is there, and fights Ray. Um, Ray kills or injures Kylo, then heals him, but takes his ship. But meanwhile, when all this is going on, uh, Kylo gets, I guess it's a vision. Some people have called it a Force ghost. Although I don't think I don't think it is. Oh, well, did you did you hear about the uh, the Harrison Ford interview from last week? Yeah, well, yeah, he was flat. Yeah, so so yeah, Kylo Ren sees Han Solo in a generally shocking moment because I thought Ford was done. They must have dropped a lot of money and weed on him to get him to show up. Mm-hmm. But like, he was asked, like, were you a Force ghost? Like, I don't know what a goddamn Force ghost is. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? He's delightfully I showed grumpy. Up and I read my lines. Yeah, he's delightfully grumpy on, on Jimmy Kimmel. But this happens after Ray leaves and uh, Kylo Ren's ship. And you know, Harrison Ford has, has kept himself in shape. He does look older, of course, as, as people do age. But <laughs> it, it's you know, he says some of the same dialogue like uh, "I love you," "I know," or that sort of thing. I think. It, it's a good scene, and um, well, it's, it's generally it's genuinely touching, but it feels like such a cheat that that Kylo effectively hallucinates this heart to heart with his father. But um, but do you think it is Leia force projecting Han to um, Ray uh, and or, or to Kylo, and that's what killed her? Uh, you're probably right, but only because that is way too complicated. Yeah, I mean, they don't explain it. You show that Leia dies. She kind of falls on the bed and, and disappears. Um, you, you do have this flashback at, at one point in the film that showed uh, Luke training Leia. And they actually used, I think, like, I don't know how they did it, with a combination of 3D modeling and footage from Return of the Jedi. To When the, ma- when the, the training mask goes off, you see the younger Luke and younger Leia fighting with the lightsaber. I thought that was kind of a neat moment. It, it's not bad, and they don't linger on their mm-hmm. faces long exactly. enough for the effect to break down, which works. Yeah. Um, but the but, death but, of Leia, I should have felt something, and I didn't. It just felt like, okay, it's a, you know, you always got to kill these old people off in these uh, sequel <laughs> trilogy movies. Like, uh, yeah. So, the, so something else that, like, the whole the whole time I was like waiting I was waiting for like Kylo Ren to like ask you know Han Solo what should I do and I really honestly expected Han Solo to say I'm I'm just your memory Ben I can't tell you anything you don't already know <laughs> or he could have said like shoot first kid yeah but so then Kylo gets so Kylo throws away his lightsaber and actually a scene that I thought was kind of powerful. Uh, when he throws away his lightsaber, you know, finds another ship somewhere, goes to Exegol, which I like Exegol. Exegol is a legitimately creepy planet. It's got a haunted house vibe. I love that its ecosystem yeah, yeah. is lightning based. Well, the, the crazy thing I was reading, and you wouldn't know this unless you you know kind of dig into the weeds in the visual dictionary and stuff. That planet initially where uh, Kylo is like in the woods, like fighting people. That is a, a terraformed version of Mustafar. 
Oh, yeah, I read about that somewhere. And it's like, that would have been cool to mention, or there's, like, deleted stuff off of that, but... Um, or, like, show him go into Vader's crumbling tower or something. Yeah, but before the Exegol stuff, you have um, Ray is kind of overwhelmed. She can sense that Leia's dying, so she goes back to Akto, the planet from uh, Last Jedi that Luke exiled himself to, and she's wanting to exile herself. And, and you get Luke a really... Back. And, it's a good scene. I like Luke as the Force Ghost. He's prickly. She tries to throw away her lightsaber, and, and he says that's no way to treat a Jedi weapon, which some people feel is a um, a kind of smackdown on um, Luke throwing the lightsaber away in The Last Jedi. I didn't really see it as that way, but he gives her a pep talk, and he uh, raises his X-Wing for her to fly to uh, the final showdown in Exegol. Yeah, and and that you know becomes a big thing. That's how that's how the the the, the resistance is able to get to Exegol to fight the Sith fleet is that uh, they follow a homing beacon on red on red five. Um. So so this whole so this is a like we talked about before. Like you can't raise the stakes just by making things bigger. So the empire the emperor has a whole big old fleet of death of star destroyers that he was able to build underground on this planet why because everyone thinks it's cool to have spaceships come out from the ground or out from underwater even if that makes not a goddamn lick of sense um and and they and now each one has a planet destroying weapon and I knew that we could not get a whole movie without another Doomsday weapon showing up. I just n- knew it. I just, I just wish it was something more interesting than oh well, we just have a Death Star cannon on every Star Destroyer now. Yeah, it's not called the First Order. It's called the Final Order. Um, I, I agree. All the Death Star cannon stuff, it's kind of lazy. Although I mean, technology does miniaturize over time, I suppose. But um, I, I do love the look of the stormtroopers in red with the additional markup on their mask. Uh, I think it's a, a good design. I'm surprised they didn't use that in other They haven't used that before. I know it was a great action figure. Uh, yes, yeah, definitely, and, and very, very eye-catching. Um, and you have, you know, much in the mirror of Return of the Jedi, you, you have Rey and eventually uh, Kylo Ren, who's now just going by Ben Solo. He's on the light side, I suppose. Um, you know, team up to face against the Emperor while you have this big space battle uh, led by Lando bringing reinforcements while you have uh, Finn, um, you know, kind of storming the uh, uh, this uh, Star Destroyer or something. Well, be- because his- because it, uh, it it's like poetry and it rhymes, uh, oh, this God. this whole indestructible planet destroying fleet has to have a dumb engineering weakness, and sure. the engineering weakness yeah. is there's too much ionic uh, interference from all the lightning on the lightning planet. So their navigational systems they can't just take off. Their their navigation systems have to be slaved to a control tower to basically guide them up. Like they can't point their engines at the planet. And fire their engines. They need a navigation tower to know to fly up. So their initial plan is to destroy the navigation tower. And when they do, doesn't matter. They just slave all the ship's navigational systems to the flagship, which apparently can navigate through the ionic radiation. So why they weren't doing that the whole time, I don't know. And and you kind of think you do have that kind of uh, money shot of all the ships 
coming in behind Lando, and oh, the reinforcements of the cavalry has arrived. Well, and you know, and yet, the, this you don't get like a decent space battle scene. I'm surprised that the best space battle scene you get in this whole sequel trilogy is in the Last Jedi, where it's just like a simple bombing run at the beginning. Well, I I think in part it's like it's it should be powerful because like when the, yeah, all yeah. the ships start coming out of hyperspace, like is it the Republic fleet? Like no, it's not the fleet. It's just people. And that should have been that should have been powerful when when you realize it's it's just mm-hmm. normal everyday people rising up against the first slash final order, but everything about it fell flat to me. The only thing in this scene that had impact was when I noticed, oh, hey, I recognize that ship from something that isn't this movie. Yeah, I think one of the ships was from Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon. Um, there were several. Others there was also there was a lot. Yeah, like there, there were ships from all over the mm. old and new expanded universe. The ghost from Rebels was there. Uh, the uh, I believe the Moldy Crow is in there somewhere. <laughs> there's mm. a lot of ships. I'm sure there's going to be some special feature of it on the DVD. But yeah, pointing out. Oh, this look at this ship. This ship is this, but it's it doesn't mean much, anything. It, and, it's it's just busy. One too much happens in this climax, and like I love the idea of them like using the riding beasts, uh, using Jana and her team on riding beasts to assault the flagship. That's really smart and kind of speaks to a lot of themes that have run through all the Star Wars trilogies. But it's lost amid all the crazy space action, all the Sith action, the Emperor shooting lightning that like swallows the whole fleet. Like there's just there's just too there's too much going on, and then beyond that, the emperor keeps moving. The emperor is delivering exposition to justify what's going on after the story beat that that expedition justifies. Yeah, it's it's a lot of info dump way too late in the film. Um, you do get you know Ray facing off against the emperor. Also, Ben is. Um, now, you know, not Kylo Ren anymore, I guess. And he fights the Knights of Ren, who have always looked cool, but they never quite explained who they are or what the hell they're all about, other than they have cool designs. And and we mentioned the transport, or the uh, the beaming, so, or whatever, the force transfer of the lightsaber from Rey to Ben, so she can fight them off. Um, it's... And it's someone smarter than I noted that when... Uh, Ben gets on the planet, you know, he like, he jumps and then kind of hits his face against part of a cliff and says, ouch, that's his last line of dialogue. Huh. Is ouch. You're right. Which I, I didn't notice at the, at the time, but I'm like, wow, that's, but that they play it almost like a silent movie really towards most of the ending. Um, but, but you have a scene where Ray is pretty injured, right? And then it goes to yeah. black and you hear voices of, uh, other Jedi, other, other actors, you hear Samuel L. Jackson, Liam Neeson, you hear some of the voices from the cartoon, including Ahsoka from uh, Clone Wars, uh, Ewan McGregor, right, um, telling her to rise up and uh, and all that. And I thought, wouldn't that have been cool as like a counterpoint to, uh, you hear Anakin Skywalker in there, Hayden Christensen, but I wish you could have seen their faces or something, or maybe them as Force ghosts. I think that would have been more satisfying. Well, well it, it should have it should have been a powerful moment, but it just it just it once again leaves me wondering where the hell were all you ghosts at any other point throughout this trilogy? 
What if they had had like good Force Ghost and then like bad Force Ghost on the other side, like Sith Ghosts? Well, I think that's what they were implying because like hmm. the, the people in hoods might be Sith Force Ghosts. It's unclear, but yeah, it's just it's just. It's just a bunch of crazy stuff that happened, and you know, uh, and the emperor. One of the emperor's many end games was that if he gets struck down in anger, you know, then then whoever strikes him down will become the new embodiment of the Sith, which kind of you know connects to some stuff that's in that's in uh, the other films. And the whole the whole the whole time, like the whole time, I so here's what I thought was going to happen is that. Ray was going to sort of martyr herself and basically let the Emperor burn himself out. So as a result, the Emperor destroys himself and no one becomes the next Sith. No, she just like bounces his force lightning back to him, which I guess does not count as her striking him down in anger uh, or striking him down under any other kind of motivation. So the Emperor's dead. She's dying. Kylo Ren heals her, but then Kylo Ren dies. They kiss. Uh, and then we have to have a whole, uh, then we have to uh, have a whole bunch of extra Lord of the Rings style endings. But unlike Lord of the Rings, which I felt earned those multiple endings, and I found those multiple endings a touching epilogue to that trilogy, this is just more blustery hoopla to tie up loose ends that shouldn't have been loose to begin with. Uh, yeah, you have um, Warwick Davis as we get the Ewok for a split second. Yeah, looking up and seeing the ships blow up. <laughs> Yeah, which is like again. Oh, that's not really needed, but okay. Um, yeah, you like have... he also hasn't aged. <laughs> no, yeah, the the Ewok. That's true. Um, and and You'd you think see, he'd be a chieftain. You see a wide shot of the Resistance uh, base, and you see all sorts of people on there, uh, hooting and hollering, celebrating. We did not even mention that an actor from Lord of the Rings, Dom Hall Gleason, uh, is, is here, who just kind of delivers exposition. Um. I mean, the way this movie takes, uh, oh, what's her name? Rose Tika. Yeah, thank you. How, how Rose was such a focus of Last Jedi and does almost nothing with her is kind of ridiculous. She has, she is such a small presence in this movie. I, 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 I it, it is insulting. That they do so little with her that she shouldn't even be in this movie, but she's so important to the previous movie and was such a good character she should have had some sort of arc in this. Like, she should have been part of the journey. Uh, but she's not. She's just kind of hanging around, kind of saying hello uh, every now and then, just reminding you she's there, and then reminding you, which only serves to remind you that she's being shortchanged. Yeah, so... I mean, and, and then you, you talk about all the endings, you know, the final one is on Tatooine. C-3PO gets his memory back, but yet, oh, Tatooine. And uh, she buries the the lightsabers of the the Skywalkers. Although, why would you? But she uses like the Force to bury them, and it's like, well, you have hands, can't you just dig a hole? <laughs> like that seems awfully lazy, an abuse of Force powers. And an old woman walks by and on a spider elk, yeah, and says, "What's your name, little girl?" And she sa- and you see the Force ghost of Luke and Leia. Some people say that looks like uh, something out of like a the, the, the Bible movies or something. And she replies, Ray Skywalker. Which Which seems uh, so it, it, you know what you know what it seems like? He was finished with the script and then was like, Oh wait, what did I call it? Oh shit, and just typed that one line <laughs> to justify the title. Yeah, I mean I, I do like that 
Kylo Ren is dead and is somewhat redeemed, I suppose, although he killed his father and did all kinds of terrible things. Well, I was kind of like, that's kind of what I expect, expected. Like, if you're going to show Luke and Leia and you've been hearkening back to all these Force ghosts, I am kind of shocked that Anakin and Kylo weren't standing behind Luke and Leia. Good point. Um, I did like the look in this movie of Kylo Ren. He fused together the mask he broke in The Last Jedi, so it has all those red cracks in it. I think that's a good look. Um, yeah, and it's fused together by a Jakaru, which I guess are part of Star Wars now. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, you, you also had uh, Dennis Lawson was back briefly as Wedge and Tellys for like, oh, yeah, one line of dialogue, fun. which was nice, but he's you know quite a bit older, and I, I feel like a lot of people did not... Um, recognize him yeah um so well the the other thing this is this kind of this is like a weird thing because like after ray buries the lightsabers she then powers up her own yellow lightsaber and i remember like in the in the first film some people had pointed out have you noticed that the end of ray's staff looks a lot like a lightsaber well apparently it was a lightsaber the whole time Dun, dun, dun. And it's yellow, right? That's the color. Yeah, which I guess is, I guess technically it would have belonged to her parents. Um, but it's it's just it's just one of those things. Like, okay, so what? She was carrying this around the whole goddamn time. Maybe she but, just built it. Um, I don't know, not, but it's just it's it's not important. So why are you drawing attention to it? Yeah. Excuse which me. This is a um, problem all of these movies have. Right. Why um, are you drawing attention to something that you will then say is not important? I mean, overall, you know, I thought the ending was was okay. I like that Kylo died. It was fun to see the Emperor again. I like the visual of him shooting lightning into space and the lightning cascading throughout all the different ships. Oh, no, the visuals are amazing. This is one mm-hmm. of the most visually appealing of all the Star Wars yeah. movies. It's just in service to absolutely nothing. But I think overall, I mean, I don't. if you've gone this far, you might as well watch this movie. But I, I think overall, <laughs> I give it a sequel, no. I think it's unsatisfying. It's... um. This doesn't make me say, like, I don't want to be a Star Wars fan or anything like that, but it's not its not quite what I wanted. I thought The Last Jedi made some bold choices, and this just kind of, that it undercuts to, you know, a few deaths, uh, so to speak, or, or major changes to characters. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder how this would have been different had Carrie Fisher um, been alive. But Well, you know, she probably would have presented that medal to... to uh, Chewbacca herself. <laughs> I was fine with that moment. I'm like, okay, why not? Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a sequel, sequel. No, I'm giving it a sequel. No, if only because like I don't, I don't need or want to see anymore. I am uh, mm. more than satisfied with the overabundance of Star Wars films that we've got. Uh, now I know I'm going to get more within the next five years. I am sure there's going to be another Star Wars movie, and I would love it if that movie wins me over in some way. But I'm probably like I'm probably going to wait for the next one on home video uh, if I if I watch it at all. Like, well, so, just, so they announced the next one's supposed to come out in 2022, but they haven't really? said what it's going to be or who's going to direct it. Or I, I am sure they will figure that out at the last minute. Probably so. Um, and they'll probably fire a director halfway through again. Yeah. So if I was doing a pitch a sequel to this one, although this is supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga, but let's ignore that because I'm sure I don't believe that. For I don't. A I don't believe that either. Um, let's say so. I would do. Let's call it episode ten or whatever. Um, it would begin with Ray using the Force to bury the lightsabers of um, the Skywalkers of Luke and Leia, and. 
the the lightsabers we we would follow the lightsabers they continued to bury themselves in the sand and they buried themselves uh down way deep where a space worm eats them <coughs> and then dies and the space worm goes and and gets collected by a, a sort of trash um kind of wildlife containment unit it gets shipped to a different planet and we see these these two legendary lightsabers are now up for sale at a uh, at, at the equivalent of a pawn shop and and someone we don't see who buys them and uh the resistance it's all fat and happy they don't feel like they have any conflict so but because of that because they've uh, become a bit lazy right and all of a sudden we see uh news of um some important uh, senators in the resistance have been assassinated and it looks in the lightsaber marks uh, <clears throat> a much older Ray and company can track it down to it is Luke and Leia's old lightsaber so they're, they're trying to track them down that kind of drives the plot it's a bit of a mystery and we find out the person who who buys those lightsabers and uh, is using them to assassinate senators and kind of sow discord within the, the new uh, resistance government is none other than a creature many thought were dead, revived by the Sith. It is Darth Jar Jar. <laughs> and it would be called Star Wars Episode Ten: Gungan Agogo. So, when I was first thinking about what I would do for pitch a sequel. I was going to be very high-minded and serious and talk about something that I think would have would have been, if I would have been in charge, the direction that I would have taken these new movies in, which was to do the Star Wars equivalent of the Whiskey Rebellion, which is a fascinating period of American history and kind of a real test of, of the, the, the democracy of our young republic. Um, but then I decided, fuck it, I want to have fun. So... My movie, it's going to be a Bob Hope, Bing Crosby-style road movie, except it's going to be C-3PO and Babu Frick. Uh, because uh, C-3PO is in Babu Frick's uh, droid repair shop getting some work done, and there's this other droid there being repaired, and it turns out that droid witnessed a crime. Like, a big crime that involves, like, several, like, hut power players and several important people in the Republic. And so Babu Frick and C-3PO go on the run with this droid's head, trying to stay one step ahead of all the people who are chasing them, trying to look out for themselves, and then, like, eventually getting the head and the information it contains to some responsible authority who can see that justice is done. But the whole movie, it's going to be the two of them over their heads doing all sorts of weird uh, comedy bits within the Star Wars universe. Uh, and you know what I'm going to call it? I'm going to call it uh, Star, Wars, uh, ep- Star Wars Episode Whatever... Uh, the Road to Coruscant. There you go. Very good. And they will have a musical number. We're off on the road down to Coruscant. There you go. Very good. So it's time for uh, what you're watching. I- I've been watching something on Disney Plus. I'm not quite done with it, but it's a six-part documentary series called The Imagineering Story hmm. about the theme parks uh, throughout the years. And what's pretty remarkable is uh, the director, Leslie Iwerks, who is the grand dieter granddaughter of uh Ub Iwerks that's right nice um they found you know over 50 terabytes worth of you know the equivalent of 50 terabytes of, of footage in the Disney vaults of film of like the construction of Disneyland Disney World construction of Pirates of the Caribbean 
So, I mean, all that stuff's been upconverted to high resolution and mostly looks pretty nice. Um, I've gotten to the part where it talks about the debacle of um, Euro Disney, which I think was later called Disneyland Paris. And and also the initial, one thing I forgot, the initial version of California Adventure was done on the cheap. It was less than half the size of Disneyland, but the admission cost the same as Disneyland. Um, they also talked about kind of, one thing I didn't realize is they did a Disney Hong Kong um, that was also kind of cheaply done. And it made me, and I had, watching this, I, I wondered something and it answered my question. I said, but what about, you know, you have... Disneyland and Tokyo and you have Sea Disney and both of those were so good because the Japanese uh, through a company invested paid for all that themselves they paid for the Disney engineers to come and for the Tokyo Disneyland basically do a recreated version of Disneyland but for Sea Disney you know they paid the Imagineers to give them as much money as they wanted to design all that stuff with the Japanese uh, designers and so forth but with um, the the Euro Disney and Hong Kong Disney, they were they kind of invested their own money, and, and the people in charge of Disney at the time didn't want to invest all that money into it. So it's very interesting. It's it's long. I mean, if you don't like theme parks or, or Disney, you'll get bored pretty quickly. But I think there's, I think you might like it. Thrasher. It's on Disney Plus. Um, it's over six hours long. It's not short by any means. And I believe it, it ends with some of the recent Star Wars attractions. Um, I haven't got quite that far. I think I have two episodes left. But it's pretty good. Uh, what is something you've been watching? So I am uh, still doing a pretty deep dive through some some classic B-movies. So I uh, watched The God Monster of India Flats, which was a uh, 1973 uh, ecologically minded horror movie written and directed by Frederick Hobbs, who is more, most well known as a kinetic sculpture artist and book illustrator. And did the, was the environmental messages pretty preachy, or did it fit in with the storyline? It's it is it is ridiculously complicated because because the what it the main sort of horror thrust of it is that. This like poison. There's like there's like a. a it's set in, around uh, Reno, Nevada, and uh, Virginia City, Nevada, and so there's this uh, sheep farmer, and something happens, and like a fisher releases some some poisonous gas from an old mine shaft, and it boils up into this sheep pen, and it causes a sheep to give birth to this mutant embryo, which a college professor who's studying these abnormal fossils found in the area takes to his lab. And it ends up growing into a giant sheep monster that goes on a killing spree, but it only really kills one guy. Um, hmm. And it's eventually captured by the by a posse organized by the mayor of Virginia City, uh, and they try to turn it into a sideshow attraction. But then it and like in the end, like the 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 populace kind of riots and ends up killing it by pushing the car it's on uh, off a cliff although it implies that it's just going to it implies that this has happened before and that it's going to happen again and that in multiple occasions gases released from the mines have created mutant monster mutant sheep monsters um but there's also this ridiculously complicated plot so there's this guy Virginia City is doing this like frontier days thing and there's this guy who they fake that he shot a dog at a hunting gallery 
And the whole time you think, oh, he's a black guy. They're just looking for an excuse to lynch him. But it's not. He works for a company that's trying to buy up the old mines. And this is all just a plot by the mayor to waste his time by arresting him under false charges. Although, keep in mind, to play out the farce that he killed a dog, the town actually holds a fake funeral for the dog that he did not shoot. Um, And the mayor buys up all the mines, gets them designated as historical landmarks, but then sells the management rights to the historical landmarks to the company that was trying to buy them up to begin with. And like as the townsfolk are, are rioting, they discover that he's corrupt and he's done all this, but instead of going after him in the riot, they go after the monster, and then he gives this whole speech about doing violence in the name of justice can be used to manipulate people. Like, there's way too much going on in this movie, but the movie does have the courage of its convictions. All right. So, um, is that easily available, or...? Uh, it is. It, it didn't used to be, but it's now on multiple streaming services. Uh, the God Monster of India Flats. Although, if if you are the type that can't just sit down and appreciate a, a classic cheesy movie, uh, I there is a Riff Tracks available, hmm. and it and it has a special place to my heart because. Uh, Bill Corbett had tweeted a a one of a riff out of context. Like, can anyone guess what movie this is for? And I guessed and got it right. Did he respond? So I got a no prize from Riff Tracks. Did they respond at all on Twitter? Or oh yeah, uh, Bill Corbett was like, "Hey, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know how you guessed it, but you're right." Well, that's always fun. So, yeah, God Monster of India Flats by Frederick Hobbs. Very good. So we have a sequel scene to do uh, with uh, Kylo and Han Solo. Who do you want to play? Uh, I kind of want to do Han Solo just because I like doing his gruff voice. Okay, I'll do Kylo Ren, and I'll also be the narrator. So, uh, um, so, so yeah, so this is when he's having his moment of doubt on the wreckage of the Death Star, and he sees Han Solo, who may be a memory or a force ghost or an I don't know what. Okay. So, hey, kid. Kylo turns to see a vision of Han Solo standing behind him. I missed you, son. Your son is dead. No. Kylo Ren is dead. My son's alive. In disbelief. You're just a memory. Your memory. Come home. It's too late. She's gone. Your mother's gone. But what she stood for, what she fought for, well, that's not gone. A brief pause. Ben. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. You do. Kylo looks down at his lightsaber, then back at Han. Dad. I know. Yep. It's a good little scene. Wouldn't have minded more of it. It does make me wonder (laughs) if um, that might have been meant to be Leia originally. I don't know. I bet bet it wasn't. Well, I guess guess maybe he he was meant to have a... you know what? Maybe Leia was meant to have a confrontation with him, but they couldn't film it due to uh, Carrie Fisher's untimely death. So I could buy that. Sure. Though I doubt she, although I, she probably wouldn't have been a ghost at the time <laughs> or a memory. Right. Um, okay. So next time on Sequel Cast 2, we'll be covering a series of five films with a, a friend of ours on as many episodes as we can get him. Woo-hoo. This is a, a series of Japanese films available to watch if you're in the U.S. on Amazon Prime. It's been called like the uh, 
Yakuza papers, um, but it has a few different names, but it is five films that were released uh, between 1973 and 1974, the first being <laughs> Battles Without Honor and Humanity. So um, That is a title. It is, and it, it's, a, it's a big uh, Yakuza saga, so a big you know, Japanese gangster saga. Um, and in fact, the title of this movie is uh, the name of a track that was used very much in the marketing and in the movie of Kill Bill, that thing with mm. that deep guitar. I think is in one of the later films in the series, which we're not going to get to, but we're going to look at the first five films. It's a big epic. It's in Japanese. It's with subtitles. It's, um, you know, loosely inspired by uh, real things that happened in the Yakuza, but I think it'll be a good change of pace. We haven't done, I don't know if we've done subtitled movies before. We, we've done uh, some of the police stories, maybe some of the police stories. Yeah. Like a new police story or something. Um, so I think it should be an interesting thing, and I'm just glad these things are on uh, Amazon Prime at the moment because the, getting the discs would be quite expensive. They've been out of print for a while. So, um, and in fact, the friend of the show um, who should be on some of the episodes, uh, Alex, um, has sent me a graphic. I'll have to send you, but it talks about the relationship of all the characters in the films and oh, cool. and what um, what kind of. Uh, gangster group they're part of and it gets quite complicated as you might imagine so yeah it, it should be fun to be interesting we haven't talked about gangster stuff since uh, the godfather way back when so look forward to that uh, you can follow the show uh, on twitter at sequelcast 2 leave us a review on itunes or apple podcast sorry that's what they call it now um, <laughs> you can follow me on twitter at m-a-t-w-b-t and you can buy my book the films of uve bowl volume one the video game movies from um, amazon and uh, you can follow me, of course, at Internet Mayor. Also, by the time this episode drops, the Fading Suns Kickstarter, the Kickstarter for the new edition of Fading Suns, will probably be live or about to go live in the next few days. So definitely check that out. Uh, I am, uh, I have written for this uh, for this new edition. Great. Uh, so like, it's 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 gonna be great if you like if you like space opera and you like uh you like some classic 90s tabletop rpgs well this one's coming back in a big way so definitely check it out so when is the last time that was around was that second edition uh there was a revised there was a revised edition in like the early 2000s and there was a I think it was red no no I'm sorry the revived fasa did a third edition in I think 2010 or 2012. All right. Uh, but Ulysses, Ulysses is doing the new edition, although I'm not sure I'm not sure if they're marketing it as a fourth edition or as like a definitive edition. Got it. But but the short version is Bill Bill Bridges uh, and uh, Bill Bridges and uh, uh, Andrew Greenberg, the original creators, are back and they are they are leading the development of this new edition uh, for the first time in like 20 years. Very good. Cool. All right. Well, uh, for uh, sequel cast two, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Ha <laughs> ha, Bubble Freak! The final order is now in session. Oh, one more rule about how my magic works. I can also just drain the life force out of you. I want to, uh, I want to, uh, be transferred into your body. No, I don't. I want to kill you. No, I don't. I want super lightning. Wait a second. I- I like to move it, move it.